My name is Michael Young. I'm an insurance coverage and extra contractual lawyer in St. Louis, Missouri, and this is another tale from Insurance Land. When I was a kid, my father liked to take me to get ice cream. He especially liked to take me to the Velvet Freeze ice cream parlor. At one point, Velvet Freeze had over 50 locations in the St. Louis area, but he always took me to the one in Kirkwood, Missouri, at the corner of Jefferson and Kirkwood Road. I always thought the store had the coolest name, Velvet Freeze. It's like the Velvet Underground, only with ice cream. Our trips to the ice cream store are some of the fondest memories that I have of my dad. Now that he's been gone a few years, I think about these things. The Kirkwood Velvet Freeze store closed a long time ago. The building for the store became a photo developing place like a Kodak or something. I had photos developed there once, but they were blurry and some of the heads were chopped off. People stopped needing photos developed and that store closed too. Then a restaurant moved in that I think sold fancy tacos for a while. The building now has a restaurant called Honey Bees Biscuits and Good Eats. I've never been, but I hear good things. I understand that the last remaining Velvet Freeze ice cream store location in the St. Louis area is still up and going strong and up in fluorescent Missouri. I've never been there either, but maybe I should try it someday. I always knew when it was time to get ice cream with my dad. He would start to say, I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Yes, I knew that was a little odd, even back then, but whatever. I didn't care much because I knew an ice cream visit was just minutes away. But now I am older and I think back on this time and I kind of wonder, where did he get that line? I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. As it turns out, there was a song. I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream, rock, rock. Boogie, wow, 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 Tuesday, Monday, we all scream for Sunday. What you are hearing is the chorus from a 1927 novelty song with the words and music by Howard Johnson, Billy Moe, and Robert A. King called, you guessed it, Ice Cream, You All Scream, We All Scream for Ice Cream. It was made especially popular in the 1920s with this recording from Waring's Pennsylvanians, one of the best-selling bands in the 1920s. And with this podcast episode, I am sure their popularity will come roaring back some 100 years later. As you might imagine, with alcohol prohibited in the United States during Prohibition, ice cream became wildly popular in the United States in the 1920s. It's no wonder the song did well. But unfortunately, I have to say, the song does not age well. It was one of a series of those comic novelty songs that were supposedly set in, quote, exotic locations. You know where this is going. The verses of ice cream, or at least the ones that I did not play for you, tell a story about a fictional college in the, quote, land of ice and snow up among the Eskimo, end quote. Right. The chorus of the song, which is what I did play for you, 
was the fairly innocent college cheer. Okay, so are my childhood memories of ice cream trips to the ice cream parlor with my dad now tainted by this mildly racist song about Eskimos? Maybe not. As it turns out, this late 1920s song was not the only version of Ice Cream, You Scream, We All Scream for Ice Cream. Jim Robinson's band released an instrumental jazz version of the song in 1944, which Dixieland jazz artist Chris Barber, who was a trombonist, re-recorded with his band in 1954. Barber's producer asked the band to sing lyrics with their version of the song, and they agreed to do so. Interestingly enough, the new lyrics were way simpler and way, way less racist. Like, not racist at all. Here they are. I scream, you scream. Everybody wants ice cream. Rock, oh rock, my baby roll. Thank you very much. I would have played that version of that song for you too, but the Tales from Insurance Land podcast does not have the budget to buy licensee rights for big-time songs like I Scream, You Scream, We All Scream for Ice Cream. Maybe in the future. So why did the band change the lyrics? Was this an example of an early stand against racism? Not really. As it turns out, no one in Chris Barber's band remembered the lyrics from the original 1927 song, so they just made them up. And this version of the song is the one that remains most popular to this day. My dad would have been 11 years old when Barber released his ice cream song in 1954, and I'm pretty sure that's where he would have gotten his go-to line about getting ice cream. My dad, as a kid, was not alone. Americans were crazy in love with ice cream more than ever in the 1950s. Here's a TV ad from the American Dairy Association. Have an ice cream festival at your house. Hundreds of flavors to choose from. Hundreds of ways to serve it. Serve ice cream a new way every day. Ice cream is a valuable food. Your family will love it, and they'll thrive on it, too. Real ice cream is made with sweet, fresh cream. And ice cream's easy to keep in your freezer, easy to serve. Have a party in a minute, anytime. Why not, right now? It might have been made with real cream, but more and more, the ice cream in American refrigerators in the 1950s were not made with real sugar. Instead, ice cream manufacturers largely replaced sugar with corn syrup, a cheaper product that actually made the ice cream appear smoother. Corn syrup was made by enzymatic conversion of cornstarch to a syrup mostly containing glucose. I really don't understand what that means, but the process did let us make sweet stuff out of corn, and it became a big business for American companies in the 1950s. One of those companies was the American Maize Products Company, a company headquartered in New York City with branch offices located in Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Los Angeles, Pittsburgh, St. Paul, and Seattle. That's a lot. American Maize manufactured a number of packaged goods, as well as syrups, starches, corn oil, and various chemicals all derived from corn. The company's star attraction was a product called Frodex, which was basically corn syrup. But American Maize's print advertisements claimed that Frodex was so much more than corn syrup. Block out heat shock with Frodex corn syrup solids. With Frodex corn syrup solids on the scene, your ice creams get built-in protection against heat shock. At point of sales, your ice creams have that fresh-made sales appeal. Frodex contributes importantly in other ways, too. It enhances flavor, improves textures, adds to the food solids content, 
and you receive substantial savings in production. If you're not using Frodex now, it will pay you to try it. By 1950, American Maize stored much of its corn syrup product, Frodex, at a warehouse located in New Haven, Connecticut, which was owned and operated by the Smedley Company. When the New London and Mohegan Dairies Corporation bought 25 bags of Frodex from American Maize for its local ice cream operations in February 1950, American Maize told the Smedley warehouse people to have the Frodex bags turned over to an independent trucker for delivery to the Mohegan Dairies in New London. Things seemed to be going fine on delivery day. Smedley's records show that 25 bags of Frodex were placed upon the warehouse platform and were subsequently picked up by the independent trucker. The trucker delivered the product to Mohegan Dairies without incident. And then Mohegan Dairies proceeded to manufacture a large batch of ice cream with American Maze's star sweetener, Frodex. There was only one problem. The Smedley Warehouse guys did not put bags of Frodex onto the warehouse platform for delivery to Mohegan Dairies. Instead, they stacked up bags of Flufftex onto the platform. Flufftex was American Maze's cornstarch product, which it just so happened to store at Smedley's warehouse as well. Basically, Smedley set out the wrong product for the delivery company, which meant that Mohegan Dairies proceeded to make a ton of ice cream not made with the sweet, delicious Frodex, but instead with a very corn-starchy Flufftex. Have you ever eaten ice cream made with cornstarch? Yuck! That's the kind of ice cream you scream from, not for. Needless to say, the entire batch of Mohegan Dairy's ice cream was ruined. Just three months later, on May 25, 1950, Mohegan Dairy's filed suit against Smedley, and saw $12,000 in damages. That's a little over $153,000 in today's money. Smedley's commercial liability company declined liability coverage for the Mohegan Dairies lawsuit, arguing that its policies products hazard exclusion applied. Smedley hired its own defense counsel and actually successfully defended itself against Mohegan Dairies lawsuit. Good job, guys. Smedley then filed suit against its liability carrier to try to get its defense costs back. In a coverage case that went all the way up to the Supreme Court of Errors of Connecticut, the High Court agreed with the insurance company that the product's hazard exclusion applied. What was the product's hazard exclusion? That exclusion removed coverage for property damage that occurred from, quote, handling of goods or products manufactured, sold, handled or distributed by the named insured if the accident occurs after the insured has relinquished possession thereof to others and away from premises owned, rented, or controlled by the insured, end quote. The exclusion also removed coverage for property damage that occurred from, quote, operations if the accident occurs after such operations have been completed or abandoned at the place of occurrence thereof and away from premises owned, rented, or controlled by the insured, end quote. Basically, if an insured wanted coverage in the 1950s for property damage that occurred as a result of one's products or completed operations, then you had to pay extra for it. Because Smedley did not pay extra for that coverage, it had to deal with this product's hazard exclusion. The Connecticut Supreme Court held that the first part of the exclusion, 
the products exclusion, did not apply because the Frodex, whoops, I, I meant Fluftex, was America Maze's product, not Smedley's. However, the court held that the second part of the products hazard exclusion, the completed operations exclusion, did apply. There was no question that the damage here, i.e. screwed up ice cream, happened after Smedley completed its operations and turned over the cornstarch Fluftex to the independent trucker for delivery to Mohegan Dairies. As a result, the court held that Smedley's insurance company had no coverage for the suit by Mohegan Dairies against Smedley. The decision by the Connecticut Supreme Court in Smedley Co. v. Employers Mutual Liability Insurance Company, 123 A. 2nd 755, might normally have drifted away in obscurity, as it was a relatively obscure decision on a commercial liability policy form that has changed dramatically since the 1950s. But then the Connecticut Supreme Court included an important line in its decision, and it didn't have to because the decision does not turn on its application. So it might be dicta, but the court said this, quote, the defendant's duty to defend, however, has a broader aspect than its duty to indemnify, end quote. Did you hear that? The defendant's duty to defend, however, has a broader aspect than its duty to indemnify. As far as I can tell, the Connecticut Supreme Court's decision in Smedley is the very first time that an American court uttered a version of the phrase, the duty to defend is broader than the duty to indemnify. Other courts from other states had already said things that certainly would support that proposition. For example, other state courts had said that an insurance company must defend the entire suit if only one of many pleaded theories would be covered and would have to be paid by the insurer at the judgment or settlement stage. And other state courts had said that the insurance company must defend the suit, even if the lawsuit's allegations are false, and thus the insurer will not have to end up paying any judgment or settlement at all. Many of those cases are cited in the Smedley decision. But no other court before Smedley had put both of those concepts together so succinctly with a single phrase, the duty to defend, is broader than the duty to indemnify. Okay, side note, a New York court had said that the duty to defend is broader than the duty to pay, but it just didn't have the same ring to it. And this phrase, the duty to defend is broader than the duty to indemnify, is a phrase, and more importantly, a principle, that we use every single day when we analyze insurance coverage for liability claims. We have the Connecticut Supreme Court's decision in Smedley to thank for that, a decision that arose from a simple warehouse mistake involving ice cream. So the next time you think or hear someone say that the duty to defend is broader than the duty to indemnify, think ice cream. It's just another tale from insurance land. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tales from Insurance Land. I'd especially like to thank Joel B. for recording the Frodex advertisement. You can get his contact information in the show notes. If you'd like to listen to prior episodes, 
subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or get a lot of bonus content about each episode, just visit our website at talesfrominsuranceland.com. That's talesfrominsuranceland.com. And if you really, really like the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you left a positive review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. In fact, I will leave you now with a dramatic reading of one of our latest positive reviews. Your family will love it, and they'll thrive on it, too. Have a party in a minute, anytime. Why not? Right now.